0: I'm going to call him Roger. That's not his real name, but Roger is a real person, and it's not me. People love Roger. Fun guy to be around, generous, kind, had the gift of encouragement. When you would leave Roger, you'd go, I like hanging out with Roger. I want to be his friend. But there was another side to Roger. When Roger would wake up in the morning, he took everything he had to get out of bed. Didn't want to do it. When he was with you and was friendly with you and uplifted you, it drained him completely. And for many years... Roger battled with the darkness of depression. Roger would very, very frequently have elaborate plans of how to kill himself. Now, if you haven't experienced depression, you might be tempted to think, well, what's going on with Roger? Roger has a good, he's got a good life. Things are going on for Roger, he just needs to pull himself up by his bootstraps, he needs to cheer up, he needs to just put his faith in Jesus and everything will be okay. And sometimes followers of Jesus will say things like that. But Roger would say, Roger who is a fervent, fervent follower of Christ, would say it's like a complete darkness that overtakes your life. You become numb, there's no feeling, no motivation, and no hope. So we're in the middle of a series of five messages on mental health called the peace of God, and the, the main text comes out of 1 Thessalonians five, twenty three and 24, where it says, the God of hope will give us hope and peace the God of peace, and he's faithful and he will do this. And today we're going to talk about depression as we're in our third of five messages. And it says in the book of Proverbs, it says in chapter 12, verse 25, it says an anxious heart, which can be a contributing factor to depression, not the only one, but one of them, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. And to those that are maybe right now or will one day struggle with this, today the talk is called A Good Word Brings Hope. A good word brings hope. Let me pray with you for a second. Father, we bow in your presence and we invite you here by your spirit. And I often say this, Lord, but it's so very true. You're already here because you're omnipresent, but you long to be invited. You don't force yourself. You want to be invited, not only into the place, but into our life. And this is one of the great privileges you give us, great freedoms. And so we invite you, we invite you to speak to us in the most personal of terms from your word. Help us to understand it with clarity, with understanding. the, the, the ability and the sense and the surrender to just say, whatever you would have for me, Lord, would you do that in my life? Would you move me in that direction? Would you empower me to that end? May you be honored as we do that in Jesus precious name. Amen. Now I understand this is not a simple matter. Okay. This is a complex matter. But what I also absolutely know and understand and believe is that our God can do wonderful things, that our God can, based on his word, based on the empowerment of his spirit, our God can take us on a journey of healing and transformation and change our life in ways that in some ways are hard to put into words. That this peace of God can be deeply mysterious and yet very inviting. And the thing about depression is, it doesn't discriminate, it can hit anyone. If you're sitting there thinking that could never happen to me, be careful. And again, I'm gonna say, like I said in the last couple of weeks, I'm not a mental health expert, and so I am a pastor. And so I will approach this primarily, not exclusively, but primarily from a spiritual perspective. And the experts that I'm aware of would suggest uh, that there are four basic root causes of depression. And the first one they might point to is a biological cause. You may not have done anything wrong whatsoever, but you might have a chemical imbalance in your body. It could be fostering the darkness. You might have had something happen to you that's caused long-term chronic pain. And the mental health professionals and and, and doctors and so forth are doing their best to manage the pain, but it's just there all the time. It's limiting your mobility and your ability to think as clearly as you would like. And it's leading you into darkness. Maybe there's a nutritional deficit in your life, a hormonal change Maybe you've just had a baby and you are going through some postpartum issues. Maybe you're not exercising enough. Maybe you're not getting enough sunlight. Maybe you're not accessing enough vitamin D. All kinds of biological issues that can be part of the mix as to why this is happening. The second big one they would point to is relational causes and the stress and anxiety that these things bring. And they have all kinds of charts about what's the most stressful things in life, like moving or losing a spouse or a child or divorce or these kinds of things, how different vocations have different stress levels. It could be that you have that child in your life that you love, that you pray for all the time, that you have modeled things well, that you have disciplined them to the best of their ability, to your ability rather, and yet they still are making incredibly poor life choices. You've tried to correct them. You've tried to love them. You've tried to put boundaries up and they are making poor life choices and you have to live with the outcome of those choices. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe the boss at work is really, really difficult to navigate life with. Relational causes of all kinds. Circumstantial causes. And some of these I get flow together a little bit. Circumstantial changes or causes rather. So someone that you love deeply dies. The dream that you've always had is crushed. And it's not going to happen. A trauma takes place in your life that wasn't your fault. It wasn't perpetrated by you, but it was done to you. Your business that you've poured your heart and soul into fails. You have raised your kids and they've left and you're an empty nester and you're wrestling with that. You've just retired and primarily In your life, you've kind of made the mistake in a certain sense, it's a bit of a mistake, to put all your identity in what you do. And now that that's gone, you're asking yourself some serious questions. Who am I? And you're not coming up with very good answers. Or another reason for these things is because of hardcore sinful choices. And you have made a series of choices where you are sinning, you know it's wrong, or you know you're not doing the things you know are right. And, and you've developed this bit of a pattern, and you refuse to repent. And God is convicting you by your spirit. These are not the only reason this stuff can happen, but it can be one of the reasons. You refuse to repent and to make things right. And consequences attach. The fourth one is just outright spiritual attacks. We're told very clearly, very clearly in Scripture. We see this illustrated all through Scripture, that we don't just battle against flesh and blood. And some people think that the world is just limited to what they can see and feel. But there's a spiritual battle going on, all like right in this room right now, guaranteed. all around us. And the evil one, there's all these images in scripture. In 1 Peter 5, he's pictured as a roaring lion walking around, seeing who he can devour. He's a very, very sore loser. And he is a loser. And he wants to destroy you. He is the father of lies, it says in John chapter 8. He's all about stealing, killing, and destroying. And he's a tough guy. Don't underestimate him. He's tough enough that before the creation of the world, the foundation of the world, he thought he could take God out. And he tried. And he learned the hard way that being a traitor and attacking God does not end well. And he was crushed And Jesus said, I saw him, it says in the book of Luke, I saw him fall out of heaven. But he's a tough guy, but our God is tougher. And we are told in scripture as believers in Christ, and this is not because of anything we do, but exclusively because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, we are told with clarity that we have authority. It says this in Ephesians 2. It's like we're in the throne room with Jesus, and we have an all-access pass. And we have authority in Jesus' name to stand against all of this. And so often you'll hear me pray... And just say, Lord, would you just cover that with the blood of Christ? This is a theological illusion I'm pointing to. Not illusion, but reality. Where I'm declaring a spiritual truth that because of Jesus' death, his blood being shed, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, because one day he will return to judge the quick and the dead. That, that this kind of reference is referencing this. And by doing these things, he has conquered sin, he has conquered death, and he's completely conquered Satan. But this is one of these ideas and that we see clearly in Scripture as well, this paradox, this apparent contradiction of the already and not yet, that positionally all of these things are true. That sin is completely defeated, that death is completely defeated, that Satan is completely defeated positionally, but we continue to live life, and so it's positionally done, but it's experientially lived out in Jesus' name. So this can be one of the reasons as well, that in the secular realm they will not subscribe to. And this is one of the reasons that they have some struggles too. So as we talk about this from a spiritual perspective, we're going to look at a very depressed, very godly man in Scripture. And so we're going to discover <laughs> that he was a prophet. We, we, we consider him, the scholars would call him a major prophet. It doesn't mean he's better than a minor prophet. It just means he had a bigger scope of ministry, longevity in ministry more so than a minor prophet. That means he's a guy that spoke on behalf of God. That means he would go to the nation of Israel and speak on behalf of God. And God still, of course, has prophets to this day. Because God hasn't changed. He's the kind of guy that would get to the nation and say, thus says the Lord. These kinds of words. He was a man of deeply committed personal faith. But he was in a very, very dark place. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Now, where is that? Take your Bible or your device. If you look in the middle of your Bible, you're probably going to come to the book of Psalms and Proverbs, something like that. Keep going to the right, past Ecclesiastes. You'll come to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then little five-chapter Lamentations. If you get to Ezekiel, you've gone a little too far. Lamentations chapter 3. Before I begin to read it, let me just paint the background a little bit so you can begin to appreciate, at least in part, why this guy was in a dark place. Solomon, the first temple of, of Israel, was constructed by Solomon. It took approximately, I think it was 45, 46 years to build. It was like sort of unprecedented in the ancient world, no expense spared, gold everywhere, silver, jewels, cedar from Lebanon, you name it. It was like the marvel of the world at the time. Constructed and finished around 957 BC. Sadly... The nation began to increasingly and increasingly, with some exceptions at points, turn its back on God. And he would send a series of prophets over and over again to warn them and say, if you don't repent, if you don't turn your back to God, you're going to be disciplined harshly. And they got more warnings. We all get more warnings than we ever deserve. About 400 years goes by, and there's a prophet, Jeremiah, this major prophet I'm talking to you about, who is given a call from God to go to the nation, the southern kingdom, and say, you guys are way off the rails as a nation, and unless you turn back to me, there is going to be consequences, because I love you I love you too much to allow you to continue on this path of self-destruction. So it's not about God up there wanting to whack people. It's because he loves us and wants what's best for us. But they steadfastly refused to listen. He said, if you don't do it, I'm going to send the Babylonian horde from the east. They would not do it. And so the Babylonian horde comes in 586 BC and they destroy Jerusalem and in particular the temple. They cart off everything. Jeremiah was an eyewitness to this when the temple was destroyed. He would have seen loved ones murdered in front of him. He would have seen friends and family and acquaintances carted off into captivity. Tough stuff. Then (laughs) and, and around that time... We're told that he's characterized, it doesn't say this, but he's characterized as the weeping prophet because he saw this stuff. We're told, try to get your head around this. I can't even get my head around this. We're told that he spoke the word of God faithfully for 40 years and no one responded. 40 years and no one responded. Think about that. Think about whatever your area of endeavor is in life. You're a salesperson. You're a medical health professional. You're a tradesperson. You're a teacher. You, you sell mutual funds. I don't, whatever. And you do your best. And you do it right. And you have the absolute best product at the best price or whatever the offering is. And you offer it and no one takes you up on it. For 40 years. That's depressing. Gets thrown in jail and in chains. Because he's speaking the word of God. And they don't want to hear it. Gets thrown into a cistern. And sinks who knows how deep. Into the mud. And so I'm going to try to read some of Jeremiah's thoughts. This man of God. Who found himself I say this carefully, who found himself for a moment or a series of moments without hope. And as I read God's word, I'm going to invite you to affirm God's word as I say to you, this is the word of the Lord. Beginning in Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to do, you can read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 8, 14 to 20 as an illustration. I am a man who has seen affliction. By the rod of his wrath. He's saying, I warned them. They would not listen. And the rod of God's wrath and discipline was visited on the nation. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He looks way older than he actually is and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out or call for help, he shuts out my prayer. It seems like God's not listening. You know, there's some more. And let's jump down to verse 14. I have become the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all days long. They sing songs about this guy to ridicule him. He has filled me with bitter herbs and insated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel and he has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from, from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well. My soul is downcast within me. Downcast within me. Two things I want you to remember. We're going to read a few more verses in a sec. But two things I want you to remember as I read those verses. If you're battling depression or darkness or even heading in that direction, number one is your emotions are vital and valid. Your emotions are valid. Okay. Don't listen to somebody that says they aren't. Your emotions are valid. The situation feels hopeless. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You've tried to pray. And frankly, like Jeremiah, you feel like there's no hope. Number two, all of what I just said is totally true, but it's incomplete. It's all true but incomplete. Emotions are valid, but they're not permanent. The situation feels hopeless, but with God, there is always hope. He's never given up on you. He never will. Never will. (laughs) No matter what somebody says to you or is whispered to you from the evil one, he never will. And so what I've just affirmed to you from scripture and we'll hear in just a moment again is, I pray that a good word will give you hope. That's my main goal today. A good word from God will give you hope. And so when you're hurting and you don't know where to turn, there is absolutely hope in Jesus. If you were paying attention to the songs and the reading from scripture we did today, it just could not have dovetailed any better. Like, I mean, the stuff you were declaring in those songs, this is stuff right out of scripture. These are things from the faithful God who never, who never reneges, who's never too busy somewhere else. Again, from the experts that I'm aware of, what they would suggest is the path to the healing journey Begins by acknowledging, just like Jeremiah just did, by acknowledging and naming your emotions. When you are living in denial, it's really hard. And so when you acknowledge and name your emotions, where you just say, I am afraid, I feel betrayed, I feel hopeless. I feel angry. Whatever it is, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but whatever it is, just be honest with yourself and with God. Sometimes we have this really sad, false idea that in order to be spiritual, we have to pretend like everything's okay. And sadly, I really think, especially in the church in North America, we are guilty of this. And I don't know why... We've somehow given this idea that, that you've got to do this because it's not biblical at all. And that we can't feel our feelings. I heard this comedian making jokes about this, and he's saying, you know, whatever you do, don't feel your feelings. No, it's okay. Your feelings are valid. Your emotions are valid. Jesus had emotions. If you don't believe me, just read his story. He had emotions, and he expressed them. Jeremiah, I could talk to you about a lot of characters. David that we read from earlier. They had emotions. They're a valid gift from God. And when we acknowledge them and name them, this is when we begin to open the door for God to change things. And as you often hear me say, can God do this instantly? Of course he can. But usually he does it over time. I remind you, if you're going through this, or you're in this, or you're heading this way, sometimes we forget this stuff. Remember that emotions are normally temporary, okay? They have a shelf life. They have an expiry date. And so whatever you do, don't make big permanent decisions when you're struggling, And so, you know, you're feeling afraid, you're feeling overwhelmed, you feel numb, you feel dark, whatever it is. And so you think to yourself, I know, I'll quit on my marriage. Or I'll quit on God. Or I'll go get a, you know, a couple of bottles of Jack Daniels and drink myself silly and somehow mask the pain. Don't do it. It just makes stuff worse. And the evil one is whispering to you and pointing to these destructive things. And they'll just make you feel worse. It's a vicious, ugly circle. Remember, he wants to destroy you. He knows what's coming for him. And he wants to take as many people down with the ship as he can. And he may even whisper lies to you like this. You know, you, you just, you'd be better off if you weren't here. Huge lie. I will feel better if I kill myself. That's never true. The God who created you and knows you better than you know yourself, knows what he's doing, Secondly, when, when God is there, there's always hope. Even in the midst of the darkest moment. Because this, he, he, you, you heard me, what I read in those verses right up to verse 20. Now here's what he says in verse 21. Yet, in other words, full stop. Yet, this I call to mind. This is I'm remembering. This is what I know to be true. Factually true about God. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And so Jeremiah says, oh yeah, this is how I'm really feeling. I'm going to be honest with God thoroughly honest, I'm going to name what I'm feeling, but he remembers at the same time, after he's kind of spewed this out a little bit, he remembers the goodness. He remembers the character of God. He remembers that despite what he feels, there is hope that this is a matter of fact that is unchanging, even when I don't feel like it. And because of God's great love, it says in verse 22, we are not consumed. That word love there, this concept comes from the, the plural Hebrew word hased, which is found in scripture 248 times. And rather than it just kind of being a one-off word, in the Hebrew, it's like a sentence. It's like a mini story. And so, So one of the definitions I like about this that comes from one of the translators is he says, Hesed means the unbreakable devotion to God's promises. A covenantal, the God who never breaks his word, a covenantal commitment to God's character. Therefore, we are not consumed. And where it says there in the Hebrew, and it's a big long word that I can't really pronounce, in compassion, the image is what happens in a mother's womb. So think about a mother's womb with me. The womb is a safe place. At least it should be. And sadly, sometimes it isn't in our world. The womb is a sad place. This is what God says about that life, that preborn life. And it's God's intention. And it's a sanctuary where life begins, where life is nourished in the womb, where it's strengthened. And in this image and in this womb, compassion never fails. It's new every day. And so he says, and he's experiencing it in the rawest of forms. When your world feels dark and there feels like there's no light, acknowledge this. Be honest with God and yourself. And then say, I need help. And you're hearing me say this every week. And I'm going to say it again. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. It's a sign of courage. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. So maybe you need to talk to a counselor. Maybe you need to go into addiction treatment, because the addiction is part, maybe the most biggest part of why you're depressed. This was certainly the case with my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law was black, you know, blackness, no hope, no light, totally depressed, hooked on meth. Absolutely needed addiction counseling. Maybe you need to go to the doctor where they'll prescribe some helpful medicine. That is not, that's wise. <laughs> that's not unscriptural. Medicine is one of the, and the ability to accumulate and formulate medical knowledge. And anatomy and all those things, and then to take different ingredients and to put together put them together properly and create a helpful medicine. This is a good gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. And again, I say to you, can God heal instantly? Absolutely. No problem at all. None. If you can create the universe and sustain it, healing you, healing me instantly is no problem. But and I've certainly seen him do this. And it's really good to ask. But most often he does it over time. And with great frequency, he does it with medicine. You might need to change your diet. You might need to exercise more. You might need to start to journal. If you've never done it, because what you're going to begin to find is if you do it faithfully and you look back, you're going to begin to see, oh, you know, I forgot that he did that. He forgot that, I forgot that he did that. When we went through three years, Debbie and I, of of incredible difficulty, like incredible difficulty, she wrote a a journal of everything that happened, and then she read it back to me, and we're sitting there going, I can't believe how God came through. Uh, Like, we'd forgotten things. I could not believe it, how he came through. It was still really tough. When I was on sabbatical, I wrote, I don't even know how many pages of journal. So maybe you're going to need to do that. Um, maybe you need to join a small group if you haven't already that can pray for you and be supportive that is incredibly important I offer you a good word from God there is hope with him maybe, maybe enough hope just for you to get through today or for the next hour a good word offered from a loving, powerful God who created all that there is. And guess what? He created you. Roger. Again, Roger is a real person. Roger is not his real name. Roger's not me. And this is Roger's story. And every story looks a little different, even though there's often there's some foundational things that are similar. This is Roger's story, so it's not like every story. Every story has some unique elements to it, right? A ton of people prayed for Roger. God, you love Roger. Would you protect Roger? Would you protect Roger's life? Don't let him believe the lies from the evil one that he'd be better off dead and somehow he wouldn't feel it anymore. Would you heal Roger? Would you protect him? Roger would say to this day that the only thing that brought him through was Jesus. The only thing. In the darkest moments, he didn't give up. He didn't, just like Jeremiah, he affirmed, even though I don't get it, even though I don't have any light, I have no hope, no motivation, you name it. I'm still going to say God is the place of hope. Roger went to counseling. That helped a bit. Roger tried some different medicines prescribed by his medical doctor, and they they experimented with a few. They found one that helped a little bit. Roger became a prayer warrior, and that helped quite a bit. Roger changed his diet, helped some. Roger exercised, helped a little bit. Roger got into a small group, helped him some. Roger renewed his mind. We talked about that last week. And after years, notice what I said, years of fighting, Roger would say that his depression is totally gone. You see, with our God, there is always hope. There is always hope. I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes and just pray for a few minutes silently. Just between you and God. I'm going to prompt you with three questions that I'd like you to just pray. And maybe God has something else for you. And feel free to ignore what I'm about to say if God has something else, okay? But the three questions are these. Number one, do I need to ask for help? That's number one. Number two, am I willing to accept the help that is offered and follow it? See, we often aren't. Am I willing to accept the help that is offered and to follow it? And then thirdly, Is there someone I need to pray for that needs help? Is there something you want me to do for that person that needs help? Would you specifically, it won't be a vague thing from God. He'll specifically reveal to your heart who that person might be and what you should do. Because especially if you're feeling a bit down, there's joy that attaches from serving well. So I'm going to invite you just for the next little while, those questions or whatever Jesus might have for you, I'll say amen when we're done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's sing that song together. Great is the faithfulness of God.